hello and welcome to Good Film Hunting, the podcast where two sisters living in different parts of the country talk with friends and family about some of their favorite movies. So I will let Eleanor introduce our guest and movie. All right. Our guest today is John Sikowski. Did I pronounce your name? Close enough. Yeah, Sikowski. <laughs> okay. <laughs> John is a doctoral student in the cinematic arts. Performing in media arts, but that's what it is. Sure. Yay! Sure. Um, And so tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, your interest broadly in performing in media studies. Okay. Um, I... I guess I'll start with hometown. I'll go through my entire life story. I was born in Drexel yes. Hill, Pennsylvania. The year was 1989. No. Um, so I'm originally from Philadelphia. I've hopped around on the East Coast. I met Eleanor in grad school in Los Angeles and then went to um, Cornell after that for my PhD. Um, I guess in the broadest sense, the work that I do as a doctoral student is on queer film aesthetics, thinking about how they travel across different historical moments and then also in different media forms as well. Interesting. What's the coolest thing that you've learned about that recently? We'll start with speed friending now. Great. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I guess the coolest thing about it, the thing that I'm on a kick on right now is uploading bootleg copies of film to YouTube and the sort of politics of that. Um, I'm right now, I don't know if either of you know the Todd Haynes film Superstar, which is a Karen Carpenter biopic, but it's really, I love it. It's wild. It's made entirely with Barbie dolls. So that's usually how I hook people because it makes them curious. But anyway, so he made it without the permission of the Karen Carpenter estate. And I'm sure Mattel didn't sign on. And either. also probably Mattel, but I don't think they took him to court. So the uh, so Karen Carpenter's family sued him because he also used her music and stuff. And it was pulled from exhibition, so it wasn't allowed to basically exist much longer. But it currently exists on a streaming platform that I have already mentioned that I don't want to now mention again at the risk of having it taken down. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, but... So it now lives up there, so kind of the politics of, like, thinking about... You okay? Yeah. Okay. For a second, I thought I forgot to record, and then, but we're good. Oh, that would have been a disaster. This is so fascinating what I'm talking about. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I would have been upset. (laughs) It's Um, happened before. (laughs) (laughs) Um, True. But, yeah, so kind of thinking about the ways in which YouTube allows people to get around exhibition, like laws and legislation and production and distribution. Interesting. Okay. I'm really into that. Okay. Well, that was a great start to our speed friending. Um, what was the best part of your day? Today or what is the best yes. part of my day in general? Today. The best part of my day. Going to the Grove with Eleanor, which sounds like pandering, but for for people who aren't aware, given that I no longer live in Los Angeles, I haven't been here since like October, so this is also first time. Oh, good. I'm so glad that you are able to visit, and for such a great occasion. Yeah. What a dream. Knowledge. Um, what is your favorite day of the week? Uh, Thursday. 
Why? Um, a lot of the best TV is on Thursdays. Mm. And there's something about Thursday where in my mind it's basically Friday. Yeah. So Agreed. in my I mind, Thursday is the start of the weekend. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's um, also grad school. We'll do that's that. That's also too. grad school because we don't have class on Fridays. Usually. Oh, so nice. Can't wait for that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Get ready. Except <laughs> I do have class on Fridays. I already know. It's yeah. fine. And also, um, like, grad students are never not working, so it's basically a seven-day work week. It's just when you're on uh, campus. Yeah. So look forward to that, too. I know. <laughs> All the dreams. All the dreams. Yeah, no. I'm excited and nervous. There's so many feelings. Um, what is your dream travel destination right now? Um, Paris? Why? I've never been to Europe in general, and for okay. some reason I have it in my mind like the first time I go to Europe, it should be Paris. Okay, I'm really into that. I similarly have thoughts about Paris having never been there, mm-hmm. but mine are, and this is going to make me sound totally crazy, which I am, so it's fine. <laughs> um, I want to go to Paris when I'm in love. Like, it's, it's like, I can go anywhere else in the world, but, like, I want to go to Paris, like, with someone I care about. That um, makes sense. Which thus far hasn't happened, <laughs> and maybe won't ever, so I'll just Well, it's because you to never Paris. took off with your podcast, 21 Dates with Annie. <laughs> I remember this. Yes. yes. Um, Spin-off okay. to come so, of good Yeah, I mean, maybe one day I'll yeah. do that and find someone. Maybe one day. <laughs> one can dream. You um, will get to Paris, I believe. Yeah. We'll always have Paris. Oh maybe it's because of Casablanca. Probably is Casablanca's fault. It's fine. <laughs> or Mrs. Eris goes to Paris or Sabrina. It's definitely because, or Anastasia for that matter. So many movies. Yeah. I've flown through Paris several times, and I hate Charles de Gaulle. Like, I hate it. Mm. With a fiery, burning passion. You're talking about um, the general, right? Not the airport? <laughs> I'm talking about the airport. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Because I hate the general. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't like the general a lot either. I just, like, hate the airport. A oh. lot. And on that note, John, what movie did you select for our film today? I chose Fried Green Tomatoes as our film. And, okay, so Fried Green Tomatoes is an interesting choice of film for a movie that you loved as a child. And I remember when, because we initially talked about having you on the podcast now, I would say almost two years ago. It's been been a long time coming. Yeah. And... Um, without hesitation, you were like, my favorite childhood movie was Fried Green Tomatoes. That's right. Um, so I would, the family story is that when I was two years old, the only movie I was willing to watch was Fried Green Tomatoes, and I would pitch a fit otherwise. Um, but I don't have any memory of it from like watching it when I was two years old because I was two years old. Um, and the only time that I had ever watched it again otherwise was when I was 18, but I fell asleep that time. And so after having now just rewatched it, this is an opportunity to really dive into who I was as a toddler and what it says about my toddlerhood that this is the movie. Or your life today, even. Yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Okay. 
So for those who may be unfamiliar with the film Fried Green Tomatoes, give us a short synopsis. Okay. Yes, please. So there's a present day storyline and then a flashback storyline. In the present day, Kathy Bates plays a housewife in a sort of loveless marriage. Mm. She visits an in-law in a nursing home who hates her. And then one day, kind of by happenstance, she strikes up a conversation with another woman played by Jessica Tandy. Um, and they become fast friends. And Jessica Tandy tells her this story um, from her childhood about an in-law of hers named Iggy, um, played by Mary Stuart Masterson, who is a tomboy growing up and then as an adult has, I would say, an implicit but fairly obvious affair with another woman named Ruth, played by Mary Louise Parker. And um, Mary Louise Parker is in an abusive marriage, and so mm. Iggy kind of helps get her out of the house and her newborn out of the house, and then the husband is eventually murdered, and should I say more than that? Like, spoil it? But anyway, so the plot of the movie is basically as this story is told to Kathy Bates, and the present Kathy Bates kind of starts to take charge of her marriage and asserts herself more and kind of what her needs are mm. in the relationship and also in unhealthy ways like ramming a car six yeah, times yeah it does kind of <laughs> wind up being something where it just justifies her anger issues <laughs> but then it also like she says what she wants from her husband more forthrightly so like that's also positive so For good sure. and the bad okay yeah, well, thank you for that, because I like to be transparent with our listeners. I have not watched this movie, <laughs> um, and we've been talking about this movie for so long. I can't believe I didn't ever do it, but I, anyway, I'm babysitting, and I looked on, the, and you could only find it to rent, and I was like, come on, this movie is, you know, came out, what, almost 1991, yeah. Yep, yeah, almost 30 years ago, so it's like, well, this should be on Netflix, but yes, <laughs> alas, yes. I was, the stars did not align for me, um, but I actually, this movie came up in conversation randomly very recently, um, where someone described to me, I'm guessing the famous scene of Kathy Bates ramming the car. Mm-hmm into someone else's car. Yeah. And this was um, a middle-aged woman. She's like, the, she is the receptionist at the school I worked at. And um, she and I were talking and she's like, Anne, I can imagine you one day getting so fed up and doing something like this. And I was like, I don't think this is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not a good thing. Yeah. I know. But she's just like, you like stick up for yourself. And I'm like, cool. Thanks, But there's Marilyn. different ways to stick up for yourself. This was more just like she encountered bitches who took a parking spot she wanted. Yeah. And was like, I'll take down these young, thin women by ramming my car. Yeah. Like she cuts off, like she gets cut off in a parking lot for a spot yes. by these two women and so in response, she rear-ends the car six times. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not saying it's a good thing. Yeah. I'm just, this was the conversation I had. Yeah. Um, I would, yeah, I, I don't know if I would have taken that as a compliment. If you I was shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want that for you. There's yeah. a lot of really great stories of kind of women in middle age becoming empowered. 
Um, but let's stick with like first wives club level and less this. I think. Okay. Don't you think? Wait, connected to first wives club? Well, if we're talking about Annie's middle-aged empowerment. Yeah, yeah. I would prefer her to go the first clubs route. Oh, oh, okay. First wives clubs route rather than this. I thought you were saying that this movie was like First Wives Club, <laughs> and I was like, let's spend an hour talking about that, because I'm, <laughs> I'm Where was here. the lesbian subtext in... I'm sure we could find some in First Wives Club. Absolutely, yeah. They were... Yeah. Like a mm, sapphic isolationist community. community. Mm. Yeah. Also, what then would be book club in comparison would be interesting, too. Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, what's immediately obvious about this movie, and it's interesting to think about in the context of 1991, was it does not even read as subtext, but, like, it must have been subtext in 91, right? The lesbian story? I would think, I think, like, a lot of films where, like, a queer relationship is subtextual, it's there for the people who want Mm. to see it or can like recognize the clues but for the people who are happily oblivious in their heteronormative world it might not register you know like Mm. like there are multiple scenes where it's like okay these two are obviously in a relationship together or like are falling in love with each other um there's like a scene where they're swimming late at night in a lake and then they like have a conversation in their very wet slips with each other. And it's like, yeah, okay, yes. <laughs> like, this is pretty clearly this. But then there's also, it does seem like there's the courthouse scene where Mary Louise Parker gets asked by a prosecutor, like, why did you leave your husband? Why? And she just, like, looks at Iggy and it's like, she's my best friend. <laughs> and I love yeah. her. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay. okay. More so than that, I would argue, the scene in the kitchen, that's a pretty long scene of mm-hmm. them playfully like what it starts off with what like throwing water on each other and then goes yeah. to like f- pushing Full like food fight yeah pushing like blackberries into each other's <laughs> face and like smearing and then them lots of foot. like touching and then like falling to the ground <laughs> like throwing flour on each other yeah. and then like a man comes in and is like what's going on yeah. here and then even at one point He's like, Ruth, I think Iggy's been a bad influence on you. And she giggles. Yeah, Ruth (laughs) giggles and goes, I think you're right. (laughs) Like, or something like that. That is, like, silly. Yeah. There's a lot. But what's weirdest part about this Mm -hmm. is there's a lot that has to do with the Chris O'Donnell character. Um, oh yeah, I left that out. Of the yeah, we did it. It's okay. Yeah. So Chris O'Donnell is Iggy's older brother, who's like the only one who seemingly accepts her tomboy, like ways, nascent yeah. lesbian ways. Yeah. And then, um, he Ruth is kind of in love with him, and he they're making out, and her hat falls on a train track. Yeah. So he goes to get it, gets killed by the train, and both the women. That's a are lot. Distraught. That's very dramatic. It yeah. is. And both the women are distraught. And then... Can we talk about how cute Chris O'Donnell is, though? We can. Oh, yeah, goodness. Well, I think we have to, like, pause the movie. What an attractive man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a deep... That was a long conversation. Mm-hmm. He's aged well, He's too. He's very attractive. Yes. Also, John had never heard of the movie School Ties, which doesn't make sense to me. I, I, I haven't seen it. I think that it maybe has not 
been prominent throughout time. <laughs> I don't know why it's so prominent to me. Did you watch it a lot when you were two years old? <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing we'll have to discuss in addition to Chris yeah. O'Donnell. We'll have, but, like, the psychotherapy corner where we just figure out what was going on with me. But, okay, so, like, the two women kind of begin their relationship through the mutual love of this man. Yeah, that died. Right. Who's then, in a way, resurrected so, through Ruth's son with Yeah, who's named... After the brother after, who died. After Chris O'Donnell, and also has an accident with a train with a train but like doesn't die he just loses an arm that i would say is the most effective scene in the movie because they immediately go to like r.i.p yeah buddy jr and we're like shit yeah. no and, and then it turns it... out they're throwing a funeral <laughs> for his arm which he lost in the train accident yeah which is and then yeah. they elect to call him this is the craziest part yeah. they choose to call him stump for the rest of his life because Iggy's reasoning yeah. is other people are going to do it, so we might as well call him Stump first. And, and then like, he's... We claim it in advance. <laughs> Wait, that is... What a terrible... Yeah. That is just terrible. The logic of the world is going to treat you terribly, so we'll do it first. is not a sound logic. No, because the child is still being treated terribly. Yeah. Like, that doesn't take away yeah. that... Like, if anything, it normalizes terrible treatment to him. Yeah. I 100% agree. Yeah. And oh. he seems to run into his own psychological issues. We see that at a very early age. Mm-hmm. When his stepmother, for lack of a better term-ish? Yeah, stepmother. Okay. She tries to take him aside and comfort him, and she starts telling him all these stories, and he, like, already knows them. And he's like, I know I should believe in myself, and I know I shouldn't care what other people said, but, like, I don't have an arm, and so I can't do things other boys can do. There's... Yeah. There's a lot of stuff in it where it's like, oh, this is a really not cool way of approaching this topic. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that that was a product of the time like is it is this a movie that in terms of kind of like social awareness is caught in 1991 um like is it is it compare uh, comparable to other movies around that time i mean because what like steel magnolias was another i could say like female-centric movie at that time or like multiple female characters at that time it's definitely in the, a similar mode of like southern women yeah okay it also reminded me a lot of divine secrets of the yaya sisterhood and the spitfire grill do you remember that one where it's like how does mom made us watch it all the time and i don't think it was good i remember watching divine secrets of the yaya sisterhood i do not remember the other one you mentioned okay but there's there was this whole like early like late 80s early to mid 90s like aesthetic of and i think divine secrets was like 2000 or 2001 that sounds right. um but this whole genre in a sense of like southern women who experience pain and adversity but like come together but still never really overcome the dominant forces in their lives mm-hmm. like this film also has a really twisted view of race yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it's definitely a very romantic view of what the South in the 1920s and 1930s would be like. 
Right. Because it acknowledges that there are racists. Like, it, it has scenes with the Ku Klux Klan, which are, it's kind of used as a cover for stealing the baby. Yeah. Um, there's that, but there also, it makes a point, the film makes a point to be like, there are racists in the South at this time, and the Klan has a lot of power at this time, but also this random town in Alabama is not racist. And, like, everyone in the town is gets along very harmoniously with, like, all of the white citizens get along with the black citizens just fine and protects them legally in a couple different ways at different points. And it's very bizarre because there's no explanation for why this racial utopia would exist. Right. Um, it just kind of is taken as a given. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, an issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we've been talking a lot about this movie's faults, as it were. So why should someone see this movie? Like, what, what are the p- parts of this that even maybe your two-year-old self subconsciously, like, really held on to? I would say, like, now it's a pretty, like Eleanor was saying before, it's a pretty fun lesbian romance that happens okay. at the same time. Like, I think in a lot of ways, like we were talking about, all of the things that are meant to be implicit but are, like, mm. very clearly explicit. Like, there's a dissonance between, like, things that are meant to be coded that are very clearly explicit that are yes. very fun to watch. Yeah, I don't mm. feel like it's uh, subtextual at all in 2018. Like, even for audiences to, for whom it's not intended to read in a lesbian love story, it's, like, almost impossible to miss. Yeah. I think people who... Because the thing that I see, I've seen a lot of, like... Like, I've had conversations with, like, my parents who, like, watch movies, but they don't really, like, study it or think about them particularly critically, where, like, Mm -hmm. if there's a subtextual plot line, like, I can see my parents watching this and be like, were they dating? Were they supposed to be together? Did I misread Mm -hmm. that? And so I could see a lot of that still happening, of, like, choosing to just recognize it because it isn't explicitly stated that these two women are in a relationship. Right. I'll have to watch it. <laughs> it's long. I would is, say that. It is long over two hours. Like, I think a couple of times we were like, there's still how much time left? <laughs> it would be like 80 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> we're like, I do think the Kathy Bates stuff is very fun because even though it's not really scrutinized that she's has apparent anger issues, that she's like funneling or justifying through this story that Jessica Tandy's telling, it's still kind of amusing to watch her charge after someone in the supermarket. Actually, both of her scenes of, like, me really sticking it to someone because they wronged me happen in a supermarket. So there's some sort of something with food politics. Well, part (laughs) of that, she talks about how... I'm into that. Well, and the food politics anyway are interesting because... We see her at the beginning when she's really sad. She's just like eating a box of donuts by herself. And that's yeah. one of the reasons she and Desi- Jessica Tandy 
come together and then when she and her when she finally starts digging into her husband she has like a sushi meal that's mm-hmm. definitely a plastic like it was very poor production yeah, design throws, in that moment yeah, he throws, <laughs> like, uh, she's like what like, is it this rolls to the ground and it actually like makes a noise against <laughs> and the bounces plate. yeah it's we're like, like what <laughs> <laughs> um and and she has the whole one of her moments of breaking her a breaking point for her is when she's like I just want to eat all the time. I hide candy bars around my house. I have 11 to 12 to them a, of a yeah. day. And the movie itself is titled After Food. Mm-hmm. Right. Which none of the characters seem to think is like a particularly good food. It's just nostalgic. I think it's that. Also... I do love the final shot, though, that says... Uh, uh, fried green tomatoes, yeah. hot and available, or On something the, like well, that. Because there is in the town, there is the cafe that they co-run. The Whistle Stop Cafe. Yeah, the Whistle Stop yes. Cafe that Mary Louise Parker and uh, Mary Stewart Masterson oh, yeah. um, run together, and they sell fried green tomatoes. So I think there's a way in which like fried green tomatoes is like the nostalgic item, but it's also like the community thing, the thing that people use mm. to mm. like get into community with each other. Mm-hmm. Because Kathy Bates also brings it to Jessica Tandy as well at one point, but there is, I think, I think you're right, Eleanor, pointing out that there's a way in which like Kathy Bates' character's relationship to food and her weight, that as she starts to feel better about herself as a person, she also is transforming herself physically, like going to work for Mary Kay too as well. The cosmetic sa- yeah. sales, right? Um, so there's a way in which like. Now that I feel better about myself, I have to change the way I look at the same time. There's also that happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we see her working out, and we see her eating celery. That's right. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, she eating eats. celery, yes. fastest way to get self-confidence. Yeah, she does say, like, here, like I brought some crudite. Would you like some crudite? But it's just a big bag of celery. <laughs> Which is funny to me. And Jessica Tandy being like, oh, I don't eat raw vegetables. Yeah. Which is kind of like you. Maybe that's another reason that it stuck you to you. Get don't you don't eat, eat part, like, raw vegetables? <laughs> is that what you think? No, no, no. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, like how, I just remember one of the first times meeting you and you were like, I just don't do salad. <laughs> like, as well, a rule. Well, I've never had salad. That's right. Maybe Jessica Tandy taught me that. <laughs> <laughs> You've never had salad? No, I've had salad, but I don't like salad. And like whenever there is a when salad option, he option, won't take or it. Like if there's salad on a plate, I, I skip it. So fascinating. Yeah. I love vegetables. But I, do I love eat raw, raw vegetables. vegetables. I don't know why specifically like raw <laughs> greens. Like get that raw lettuce out of here. Hello. That is so funny. Have um, have either of you ever had a fried green tomato? Is it good? Can we they confirm, good. deny? <laughs> um, I like them. I mean, I didn't grow up in the South, so I don't have like a cultural <laughs> referent to like why they're so special. But they're good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so where did you have them? Because I literally don't think I would have heard of the food had this movie not come out. I'm not going to lie. That being said, we're like really Northerners. But like I've never heard them talked about. Chicago's not movie. Canada, Annie. <laughs> Sorry. Like wilderness of Chicago. <laughs> um, We've had grits before. We're like functional people. Why no, but fried green tomatoes. Right, but we haven't spent like significant time in the South. I would say. I mean, we've had hush puppies and grits. 
and biscuits. What are hush puppies? And not fried green tomatoes. I'm so sorry for asking that. The look <laughs> Eleanor just gave you is really something else. Um, I did not ask Wait, what? Like, I asked what hush puppies were, and then Eleanor showed <gasps> me with her... Yep, and then you did too. <laughs> <laughs> the double Huntington shame. Yeah, wow. Um, well, hush puppies are like really, really delicious. Like you should go seek them out. They're essentially like cornstarch fried. Yeah, that's really all it is. And, oh, okay. and then you like dip it into sauces. I'm not sorry, cornstarch. I meant like cornbread. Cornmeal, oh, maybe? Okay. Yeah, whatever. Okay. I don't know. It's something corn... You fry it and then you dip it and it's... It's usually like kind of an appetizer before you're going to have a meal of like fried oysters or other fried seafood. Great. Okay. I'm into it. It's the fried food to start the other fried food. One of which might be fried green tomatoes. I still don't know the context in which you ate fried green tomatoes. I feel like I've even had them in LA if there's like some... Bougie restaurant? Not even bougie, just like southern... Style? Yeah, like southern branded restaurant. Or I mean, I also road tripped through the whole south last summer, so I might have had them there a couple times. But yeah. Yes. Okay, I want to return now, though, to the point of you enjoying this movie so much as a toddler. Yeah. Like, I think, it, I think that is what we need to talk about extensively. <laughs> um, <laughs> what about watching it now as a... 28 year old yeah what about it do you think appealed to you as a two-year-old or what does it say about you as a 28 year old that your two-year-old self liked this movie um you mentioned earlier you only like movies with gay characters yes that is true so you knew this very early in life and preferably movies with only queer characters as well okay um, okay no, that's a joke. I watch movies with straight people in them. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to be like, I was like going through my brain and I was like, he must not watch like any movies because there's hardly a cast with everyone who's queer, you know? Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Like, I feel like I can be like, oh, I can trace that I like movies. Like, I like flinty Southern women characters mm. a lot. And so I'm like, oh, maybe that's a fried green tomatoes thing. Um, but it's not so visually appealing that a two-year-old would naturally gravitate towards it's this. Right. I mean, it has like bright colors, maybe, and then the score. I mean, I don't. I'm trying to like figure out why a two-year-old in general would care about the film in the first place, <laughs> let alone like refuse to watch anything but this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do you still enjoy Mary Louise Parker? Or how do you feel about some of the... Has your concern for the actresses uh, existed over time? For sure. Not Jessica Tandy. Yeah, we decided... We hate Jessica were, Tandy. That was like I very... Hate I hate Jessica Tandy. But I'm not... Mm, 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 yeah. Um, okay. But Kathy Bates loved. She does refer to... What does she say? She says... A blob in a horror. She in this movie she refers to some blob in a horror movie, which is funny because this movie came out a year after Misery. Um, so where possibly tongue in cheek. Yeah, maybe a little intertextuality. Anyway, um, but Kathy Bates, I've always loved. Cause then, like six years later, I would have seen her in Titanic. Yeah. I loved her in that. She was my favorite part of Titanic. You. 
did you go to Denver? Did you go to the Insinkable Molly Brown's house? Brown I didn't house? go to Denver. I haven't been to Denver. You sh- when you go, you need to go to Molly Brown's okay, house. Right off the we plane. love it. Um, and then Mary Louise Parker, I've always loved. I still haven't forgiven Billy Crudup um, for what he did to her. What did he mm. do to her? He left her when she was like eight months pregnant. No. Yeah. I didn't know this. And then also, I think, left... Claire Danes in a very similar situation as well. So he's just a bad guy. Yeah, he's a monster. We don't like Billy Crudup. This is now an anti-Billy Crudup <laughs> podcast. Oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he's not He's not a good dude. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I've always loved Mary Louise Parker. I watch Weeds till the bitter end. Um, I'm always happy when she pops up on a TV show for like three episodes. Like West Wing. Like West Wing. She's also on Billions. Oh, you do like Billions? I do like Billions. Against my better judgment, but I do like it. <laughs> um, I've never seen Weeds either. I guess I haven't had a lot of Mary Louise Parker in my life. Oh, that Which has I to should change. rectify. Yeah, that has to change. The best is Waiting for Guffman, though. I have no what? idea what that is. It's <laughs> not for the best. I don't... <laughs> Sorry. What is that? Oh my gosh, Annie, it's a Christopher Guest mockumentary. You would also yeah. love... The only Christopher Guest that I love is Best in Show. I have to be honest. I also love... Wait, is this something that we both like? Do you like... I love Christopher Guest. I love Christopher I Guest. Um, love Christopher Guest. He's, I'm guessing he's the director, writer of all, like... Of, like, This is the Final Tap, Best in Show, and like, the kind of, like... Husband to Jamie Lee Curtis. He's also... Um, He's also in, like, the British royal line somehow. I remember finding that out about him. Is he before or after Prince Harry? (laughs) (laughs) But it's also, what I found interesting about it was, like, his line will die with him because he and Jamie Lee Curtis have only adopted kids and they can't continue. Yeah. Interesting. Um, So let's talk about where we think this movie fits in to, like, the larger film community. Is it one that should be at the top of people's lists to see? (laughs) Is it down at the bottom? I mean, should I see it tonight? Should I just rent it? Or... Well, Annie, Kate, our goddaughter, who you are watching, is almost two. So maybe she, too, can become obsessed with... Yes, that is That's legacy. actually the best... That is legacy. That's the I'm best not doing it. I'm not... I'm not doing that. No, that would be a really great experiment, though. Because no, she and I are watching Mamma Mia right now, and we're really enjoying it. So, like... Here we go again? I can't we... take Meryl away from her. Okay, fair. I would never want that. She, so far, has only really liked Sound of Music, so it's nice to know that she's expanding into Mamma Mia. Music we gotta get her... with kids in general. Yeah. She likes music. Mm-hmm. We gotta get her into The Greatest Showman. I was thinking about playing that for her. I'll probably play it for George next week, too. I apparently only babysit babies that, like, really like musicals. Like, so I watched Mamma Mia with our friend's baby, George, and every time they would start singing, he would just get so quiet. And he was so fussy the rest of the time, but, like, loved it. Loved ABBA. Is that just a toddler thing in general? Or, like, a child? This, okay... But back to John. I don't know. None of this movie had music. I mean, it had a score. But, but I don't like, think that would have been the draw. 
That's not what we're talking about, though. Um, okay, so to Annie's question, where does this fall in the full spectrum <laughs> of movies? I think... You have to give it a number. <laughs> on quality or, like, how important it is? We'll do them separately. Just in terms of, like, importance. I don't know if I would say it's an important film. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's but, a good place to start. Yeah. I mean, I think... I think there are a different registers of, like, if you wanted to learn about, like, the way that, like, film has historically had a historic view of, like, the racist South, like, the Gone with the Wind lineage, you could, like, put fried green tomatoes in that. If you wanted to do something with, like, coded queer representation, then, yeah, you can watch this movie and, like, learn from it that way. So I don't think it's irrelevant, but, like, I don't think putting... Uh, Mary Stuart Masterson in like a tie with suspenders in every other scene necessarily means that it has to be watched immediately. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Though I yeah, I think I'm gonna rent I Feel Pretty tonight. I'm not gonna lie to you. Great. The Amy Schumer film? Yeah. Okay. The one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna put it because after this discussion, I put it before. Of level of importance in terms of film entirety. Well, okay, why don't we move into the final part of, I feel like this is a good segue to the final part of our podcast, which is where we talk about our favorite pop culture thing of the week. So, what is your favorite, friends? You go first, Eleanor. I have gotten into The Office, and I never watched The Office when it was on the air, and I'd seen, like, a select few episodes just in passing, living with different people, and then for whatever reason, it's been, like, really great while packing and cleaning and whatnot, and I remember when I was living in Boston several years ago, one of my roommates watched the episode where Michael Scott leaves, and she came out of her room, Summer, um sobbing and was like Michael Scott has left and everyone like made fun of her but then I watched that episode I think a night or two ago and I was also like crying and I was like I need to text Summer and apologize for being a jackass a few years ago for making fun of her yeah so that's my moment okay John do you have one I do it's a podcast sorry about it (laughs) um so last week I binge listened to the podcast slow burn which is through slate plus and it's the first season is completely available now on your podcatcher of choice and your and then season two i think is starting soon so season one is dedicated to watergate nixon and watergate yeah and so it's a lot of interviews with people who were involved in some capacity, either as an investigator or in the Nixon administration. But one of the things that I really liked about it was it, uh, in a few key moments, it pokes a lot of holes in some of the narratives or, that we have come to understand over time about like what it was like during Watergate as a culture and politically. So like they have a whole episode dedicated to what it was like for congress people during that time and sort of the narrative that like it was a totally bipartisan investigation and it was like republicans and democrats working together to just get to the truth totally objectively and it was like no there was a lot of kind of 
partisan games being played where Democrats really wanted a win and then were really committed to it and then Republicans stonewalling in certain ways to kind of protect their president, things like that. So, um, yeah, it was really, really, yeah, it was really interesting. A lot of the parallels as well to today. And then I should say the second season, which is going to start soon, is going to be focused on Bill Clinton's impeachment. Fascinating, which yeah. rethinking of through through the lens of Me Too will be interesting. Yes, for sure. Big fan of that. All right. Um, my pop culture thing of the week is thing that I'm usually far behind um, on things, and this is another one of those cases. Uh, I'm currently reading Crazy Rich Asians, and I really enjoy it. I, I'm getting kind of addicted, um, and... Luckily, there's two more books after that one. Is there really? Oh, yeah, it's a trilogy. How exciting. I hope that means three movies. Too. Me too. Especially because Harry Shum Jr. Is, was a character who was originally cast and I think filmed in the first one. But then I went to a pre-screening of Crazy Rich Asians and they cut out his character and oh. he's a great character. Yeah. So I hope he comes back in the next two movies. Anyway, Anna, you were saying Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um... But I'm excited. So the book is good itself, but um, it's for a book club that I just started with friends from high school, none of whom live in the same place. And like a virtual, I've never been part of a book club ever. Um, So I'm excited for that. But I'm also just excited that like media can bring people together. Um, And technology allows it to happen. Like I'm kind of excited about that. Sure. That's exciting. I've never been in a book club either. But I also give up on books, like, after 15 pages a lot. Mm. So maybe I need to persevere first and then... I love book clubs. They're, like, my favorite things. Here's also the thing, though, John. I think that we don't give... Like, I, I think that... Like, we all have limited time, and if you're not liking a book, there's no reason to keep reading it. Like, I teach students that, and, like, adults should do it, too. Like... Yeah, that's how I feel, too... I have, I always fall asleep watching something or listening to something, mm. and I've been like, for healthier sleep, I should instead, like, read before I go to bed, and then just go to bed, like, instead, right. and then I just haven't done it. It is true, it is healthier. Yeah. Like, audiobooks might be a way, like, if there's a book you really um, want to read, but, like, don't want to read, like, audiobooks are kind of fun. That's a really good idea, actually. And you can actually set a sleep timer on most of them, so you could be like, you will naturally turn off in eight minutes. Mm, Annie's sage advice. That should become a new, a new corner. New corner of the podcast. The Chris drop in. <laughs> <laughs> and Annie's sage advice. Yeah, and Annie's sage advice. Uh, well, John, thank you so much for being a guest today. Yeah, Where can all of our followers find you on the interweb should you want them to find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at... John Sikoski, J-O-N-C-I-C-O-S-K-I. That's it? That's it. I mean, I would recommend my Instagram, but, like, I don't really post on it much, so, like, people won't get much out of it. Mm, it's it's mostly just, like, here's a cat I found on the street. Isn't he cute? But and I would say no. Right. I hate like, cats. That's, like, two Huntington shamings in a single episode. Why don't we just end here? <laughs> Thank you so much, and thank you to our listeners. You can find us online at Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. All right. Goodbye.